From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Brain surgery to install a shunt is currently the only solution for hydrocephalus, which is a buildup of fluid in the brain. Most research on this condition is related to devising a better shunt, but upstate neurosurgeon Satish Krishnamurthy is uh, seeking a better solution, one that could more certainly help a greater number of people, one without so many risks, one that doesn't even involve surgery. And he's here with me in the HealthLink on Air studio to, dis- to tell us about it. Thank you for being here, Dr. Krishnamurthy. Uh, thank you for having me here. Uh, it's a delight uh, to explain to you what we do with uh, hydrocephalus. So hydrocephalus is a, a buildup of fluid. What, what causes fluid to build up on the brain? Actually, that's a very interesting question because um, actually we don't understand why we get fluid buildup in the brain. Uh, ideally, uh, we should know how things happen before we can unravel them and treat them. Uh, but hydrocephalus is an enigma. Hydrocephalus is the most common birth defect and uh, it can result from a variety of conditions. Uh, approximately 180 different disorders can cause hydrocephalus. Basically, we have fluid in our ventricles, and um, this fluid is generated um, by the blood vessels in a organelle called choroid plexus, which is inside the ventricles. So the ventricles are inside the brain? It's inside the brain, and it's... It's, a, a, it's one way to communicate between the nerve cells. So when you get sleepy, there are chemicals released into the fluid cavities, and the chemical will go to all the different neurons, and you start yawning and falling asleep. Okay. So uh, it's, a, it's a messaging system uh, within the brain. What happens in hydrocephalus, because of a variety of processes, you can have hemorrhage, uh, into the brain or into the ventricles. So bleeding. Uh, bleeding. And you can have tumors inside the ventricles or you can have infection. All of this will result in excess fluid accumulating in the ventricles. And this is called hydrocephalus. The problem with hydrocephalus is that when it is not treated, you get uh, progressive brain dysfunction, which can result in loss of vision, which can also result in loss of cognitive abilities. And if you don't treat it, the person is permanently impaired or uh, die from hydrocephalus. Okay. Now, you said it's um, the number one birth defect. if, If a baby is born with hydrocephalus, do you know before they're born that they're going to have that, or is is it a surprise uh, so sometimes you can detect uh, in utero by the ultrasound um, when, um, when they go for regular uh, prenatal checkups. Uh, the most important cause, though, of children with hydrocephalus is because of premature births. And when, when a child is born prematurely, they, can, they are at higher risk for hemorrhage or bleeding into the brain. And this is the most common cause of hydrocephalus. It accounts for almost 40% of all people with hydrocephalus. So it's normal to have some fluid in the ventricles. Yes. How would you know if you have too much fluid in there? We can, we can detect too much fluid by the symptoms that, that different uh, age groups exhibit um, in 
in infants, you see it as an increase in the size of the head, and uh, the soft spot becomes very tense, and the eyes start looking down, also called as a sunset sign, because the eyes look like they're setting suns. And in, in adults, you get headaches. Uh, in children, you get headaches and vomiting and visual problems, meaning that they can't see properly. And um, you can check the uh, presence of hydrocephalus by using different scans, sometimes using ultrasound in babies, but in adults, usually a, a CT scan or MRI scan. Okay. You can see the difference in the size of the ventricles. So once you pinpoint and you know that you know hydrocephalus exists, um, what's done about it? So primarily, we uh, treat it only with surgeries. This is brain surgery. You put a tube inside the uh, fluid cavities, and uh, you put the other end of the tube with a valve in between so that we don't drain all the fluid. We keep some of the fluid so that it replicates normal volume of the ventricle and put the other part in the belly or in the heart or in the, uh, around the lungs called the pleura. And so it's, so a, divert. it's a tube underneath that goes from inside the brain it stays in the body and it's, goes down yeah. into... Okay. It, it goes underneath the skin to get to the belly. Um, and this fluid is diverted, if you will, and goes from the brain uh, cavities to the uh, peritoneal cavity, and it relieves the symptoms. Does that work just through gravity? Um, it works through pressure and gravity, um, although... The fine art of adjusting the shunt to just have enough water inside the ventricles is a, is a tricky maneuver. But regardless, uh, shunts have changed the way that people with hydrocephalus are treated. In the past, uh, all patients with hydrocephalus were doomed to die before the shunts were in, invented. And with shunts, it's it's a um, it helps people uh, through their problem, although. It's a big brain surgery. Having said that, shunts have problems with it. Um, you, we, we don't get a warning sign uh, that the shunt is working properly. Um, you, don't, you don't get a warning that the shunt is uh, infected, uh, for example, or blocked. Uh, so all these conditions, um, whether it's blockage or infection or suboptimal functioning, uh, the person with the shunt needs to come to the hospital to the neurosurgical care. So in a way that shunt attaches uh, a baby or a person to a, the highest level of care, uh, such as Upstate Medical University Hospital, and uh, you need to be in constant touch with your um, neurosurgeon, if you will. So once you install a shunt in someone, it, it stays in them? It stays in them, yes. Like lifetime? Yes. And then there may have to be multiple adjustments, it sounds like, depending on how it's working or if it gets infected or... Uh, yes. So adjustments can only be done on some valves where you can go from outside the skin without cutting into the person again, without doing brain surgery again. And most of the times, if it is infected, you pull out the old shunt you put a temporary tube coming out of the brain and you treat the infection and then put back the shunt. And if it is blocked, you go back 
and you do surgery again, you cut open the patient, you find the blocked tube, you replace the tube, and, and you assume all the risks of brain surgery every time the person every comes time. back. Wow. And sometimes you can't, you can't uh, really accomplish the task um, because uh, of infection, of scarring, and other things. So sometimes um, uh, children with hydrocephalus get multiple, multiple surgeries. Um, there are patients who have had hundreds of shunt revisions uh, by the time they reach their adulthood. Wow. So uh, this is a significant problem. Although shunts are a solution, uh, it, it is a suboptimal solution. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Upstate Professor of Neurosurgery, Dr. Satish Krishnamurthy, about hydrocephalus. Now, most of your neurosurgery colleagues throughout the world liken hydrocephalus as like a plastic bag full of water that needs to be drained. But you don't see it that way. So can you explain? Yes. So the most popular theory uh, for the genesis of hydrocephalus, if you will, is that the water is produced inside the brain and water grows from one place in the ventricle, one part of the ventricle system to another part of the ventricle system and goes around the brain to be absorbed by a big vein on top of the head called the sagittal sinus. And any blockage of these pathways, if you will, uh, will result in fluid accumulating inside the ventricles. The, the one assumption that the circulation theory, which does not have a proof, uh, is that the brain is not permeable to water, or like you said, it's like a plastic bag. And water can't go through Water it. can't go, go through that, but uh, it's been demonstrated, and some of the, uh, some of the work that comes from uh, that it comes from is uh, got a Nobel Prize in 2003 is the discovery of aquaporin channels. That means these channels permit water to freely go back and forth, uh, like the uh, like the crew in an aircraft going through security check. Uh, they don't. They just wave the badges and they go through. And they go straight through because they are known uh, to be. Uh, uh, not to be the bad people in in an airport security line. They don't need check. Uh, so water does not need to be checked through uh, in the in the brain ventricles uh, like that. So because of these aqua aquaphor channels, a- aquaporin channels. Aquaporin. Okay. Basically means water pores or uh, channels that permit water back and forth. So when you have water going back and forth through the brain, uh, it does not make it a plastic bag. It makes it a tea bag. So uh, the only reason why you can, the, the only way you can keep water in a tea bag is through tea leaves. And tea leaves hold water. They absorb they it, absorb right? They absorb it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we, um, in our lab, we tested this hypothesis that it is all because of absorbing nature of the proteins and other uh, big molecules that are present in the ventricles, uh, namely um, blood products uh, resulting from bleeding, tumor proteins, tumor cells, uh, or infection and damage to the brain cells caused by infection. 
So these big, big molecules are acting sort of like tea leaves? Are acting like tea leaves. And just like in a tea bag, tea leaves don't come out of the tea bag because right. the pores They're are too, too small uh, for the large molecules. These protein molecules don't come out of the brain so easily. There is a transportation system, as we found out later, uh, but these proteins will attract water. Um, to give you another metaphor, uh, it's like, uh, why is the subway uh, station crowded? It's not because uh, people there cannot come out through the doors, uh, which is what the circulation theory says. Uh, it is because they're waiting for the subway trains to come. Okay. Uh, okay. So it, so you, you say that hydrocephalus is not a problem with fluid circulation. Correct. It's a problem of protein transportation? Correct. So we, we think that the proteins uh, are the primary driving force for water to come and accumulate in the ventricles. So if there is more protein, there is more water. Uh, if there is less protein, there is less water. Um, so the problem is to get rid of the proteins from the ventricles and not necessarily worry about the water. Because so if you were to get rid of the proteins, you think it would automatically lead to a reduction in fluid? Correct. So the, so the water movement into the ventricles is secondary or passive in relation to the presence of proteins inside the ventricles. It's sort of the side effect of, of what's actually. So then I guess the big question is, how do you get rid of the proteins? So it turns out that our experiments showed that we have a method to get rid of the proteins. And some of us have a, um, a better system than other people. And there are genetic variations with all of this. So it turns out that uh, the proteins go through what is called as a blood-brain barrier. Um, and the proteins are taken up by the cells, and the cells then spit them out into the bloodstream. And from the bloodstream, they go out into the urine and get eliminated. So uh, even in the presence of hydrocephalus, we found that this, this process is preserved. The only problem with the process is if there is, if there is too much protein inside the ventricles, then the systems are overwhelmed. Sure, uh, like the subway that can't get all of the people out at the same from time. All at the same time uh, when there is uh, uh, too much traffic. Uh, right? So... What we are trying to do is to understand the exact processes that are involved in the proteins getting out of the brain and excreted out. And uh, these processes uh, can be uh, improved on or um, we can help the proteins get out of the brain and therefore we can get rid of the fluid and avoid brain surgery. Interesting. Wow. Well, now, you've published a lot of your research. How are your colleagues responding when they read what you've done so far and what you still have coming? Uh, so there, are, there is a certain, uh, certain part of uh, the scientific community that uh, views uh, our theories uh, and our information or data as a little bit against the grain, um, but there have been progressive um, support 
to our work, uh, as noticed by other people quoting our publications and working on um, building on uh, some of the uh, work that we have uh, done in the past. So uh, I was recently in a conference where there was a lot of enthusiasm uh, to um, hear our theories uh, so that we can explain uh, hydrocephalus from all these different causes. Uh, we are we're trying to work on a single common uh, method to explain why people get hydrocephalus. So when we can understand it in a single common pathway, we can also enhance the, uh, the methods that the brain already has, the processes that already exist in the patient's brains, and we can use them to help the patients get rid of the fluid in their ventricles and hopefully relieve hydrocephalus and its associated problems without surgery. And this is how science is done. This is science, so that's got to be gratifying to you. Yes, it'll be uh, it'll be a, a great day when we actually put a cure on the table and uh, uh, offer it to patients. Uh, but we are we are, as you know, we, in process. We are, we are in process, and we are a little bit away uh, from that standpoint. Uh, you know, there, we've been blessed uh, with a lot of support from. Uh, the patients and uh, patient advocates uh, for hydrocephalus uh, cure. And uh, we've been also blessed with a lot of support from uh, the Department of Neurosurgery and our colleagues here and at uh, Wayne State University where, where we're collaborating. Um, so there is a local organization called REACH uh, Organization who has, um, whose main mission is to find a non-surgical cure. We'll make sure that uh, online uh, we will link to that on, at healthlinkonair.org. This has been very interesting. I thank you for your time coming in and explaining this. My guest has been Dr. Satish Krishnamurthy, a professor of neurosurgery at Upstate with expertise in treating hydrocephalus. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.